The first part of Scripture for this message is taken from Genesis chapter 3, verses 6 through 13. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. And she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of thee in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me from the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Now the second part of our scripture text is Genesis chapter 4, verse 9. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the final portion of our scripture text comes from Matthew chapter 9, verses 11 through 13. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with the tax gatherers and sinners? But when he heard this, he said, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are ill. But go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. But turn in the second chapter of Genesis. We will continue with our series. We're in a new series now. Last series was the five purposes that God gave us for life. By the way, thank you for braving the weather. That's part of your offering for God, and I'm sure that that blesses Him that <clears throat> whether you walked over the puddles, on the puddles, or through the puddles, that uh, you came to worship Him this morning. And I just appreciate your patience and all the traffic problems. I don't tell you that enough. Really appreciate your patience. Uh, and uh, it's just part of being with a family, you know. Last sermon series was the five purposes that God gave us in the Garden of Eden. And now, this is outside Eden, just outside Eden. And what went wrong with those purposes? These are five depressing sermons. So, <clears throat> gird up your loins and get ready for the truth because I'm not going to hedge any with you. Last week, I talked about God's purpose in work. Remember in the 15th verse how He said, and I quote, Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, from any tree of the garden you may eat freely. Remember how the first message I preached on that was about how God had provided at the beginning of, of man's work. Man was to cultivate and keep the garden, but the food was already provided. You can't cultivate and keep a tree in order that you can eat from it. The tree is there. It God gives you the provision. And so, therefore, the work was a celebration. It was gratitude for what God had given them. And it was a contribution to the world. It wasn't earning a living. But since that time, we have become convinced that to get what God has for us, we've got to earn it. 
And we have set about trying to earn all kinds of things we can't earn, including our salvation. If somebody's got something for you, you just receive it. Period. And then your action takes place out of gratitude. But we've gotten into this world full of earning. I've got to deserve it. I've got to earn it. I've got to make you do something to owe me. And we're in a terrible mess because of that. Now, let me talk to you this week about life and being and your individuality. You remember the first go-around, the message was that God gives you purpose just because you're alive. He created you just as certainly and just as intentionally as He created Adam and Eve. You're not a residue of protoplasm that happens to have come together out of evolution's mutation. You are a particular person made by God with all of the qualities God gave you, now listen to this, for Himself. Not for you. You weren't made to fulfill yourself. That's terrible news, isn't it? I'm sorry. I see people going, oh, I'm not fulfilled. Well, I'm sorry. And I hope you do get fulfilled, but that's not why you were made. That's not why you're here. God made you for Himself. You weren't made to fulfill a role in the world. You were made primarily to be with God at His pleasure for His purpose. And therefore, anyone you see who is given breath by the Almighty Creator was made just like they were for His purposes. There is no handicapped in God's world. God made a person just as valuable, whether or not they have certain capabilities that we think is valuable, made them just as valuable to Him for His purposes. And you can go through this whole world and never know what your purpose was for living, but still be valuable to God. Now, we want to tell you what your purpose is. We want to help you define and discover your purpose for living. But until you get there, and if you never get there, you have a value to God because you have life. Now, where is the other end of that? Well, there is the celebration of individuality that says, Thanks, God, that you made me like I am. I'm different, aren't I? Real different. Real different. Do you know that when God made Adam... He made him different than Eve was going to be. You are different before you ever get into relationships, but the difference really doesn't stick out until you get into relationships. Let me read to you some of the verses out of here. Then the Lord God said, It's not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper, suitable for him. And the the Hebrew, remember, is corresponding to or answering to him. They're enough alike that they can communicate but they are enough different that they need each other. And so, he does it. He puts old Adam to sleep. We, we men haven't, haven't really wakened up since that time. We go, kind of go around in a stupor. Never, we kind of sleep through the important events in life. But he puts Adam to sleep, takes a rib, closes it up, and fashioned the woman into a woman, the rib which he had taken out of man, and brought her to the man. And he exclaimed, now this is motivation. Now we're talking here. He was glad to see her. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Left, and, and God says, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. Now, that's a combination, see? And out of that combination, we live out our individuality because we're different. And we're glad that we're different. We don't need to be ashamed of being different. At this point in the Bible, God says they knew that they were naked and they weren't ashamed. See, they could see the differences. They weren't ashamed. They were glad about it. 
You know, if we were still living the life that we had in Eden, we'd be tickled to death we're like we are, as different as we are. Every once in a while, something pops up that you can see what true individuality is. A few years ago, I read in, in Reader's Digest about... Uh, you, you know how you find in your pants, you buy a new pair of pants, and you find slips in there called, ins- and it says inspected by number 28, or inspected by number, you know. Well, they had apparently this inspector of clothing that was sending out personal notes on these things. You'd reach in and draw this out, and, had, and they were a little, like little jokes, you know. It's inspector, inspected by number 28, because number 1 through 27 is on vacation, I'm all that's left here. And, 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 and one of them said, uh, inspected by number 28, if you meet somebody suspicious, swallow this. <laughs> I like that. Uh, inspected by number 28, um, um, if you didn't find this thing, contact us immediately. You know, I mean, it's just weird stuff. And here's, here's this guy or gal, I don't know which it was, doing their job in a completely unique and individual way. That's what God meant by individual. Having fun being different, doing your job, but nobody can quite do it like you. There's a lady in this congregation I was talking to this week who needs an operation. And I asked her if she was going to get She said, no, I'm not. Knowing the pain that she would have to endure not getting that operation, I said, why not? She said, I've got three small children. This operation would lay me up from a year to 18 months. And I would have to give up my responsibility of hugging and cuddling those kids to someone else. Someone else may be able to hug and cuddle, but nobody can do it like their mom. You know? She said, I am irreplaceable as an individual. And she lives with the responsibility and with the pain of that. But she realizes it. You understand? That's what God wants us to realize. Nobody can do what you do. Or He never would have made you. You are so important. Now, what went wrong with that thought? Well, look over in chapter 3. Verse 6. And the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was delight to the eyes and that the tree was light or that the tree was desirable to make one wise, and she took from its fruit and ate. She gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. And then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. Now, they knew they were naked before. I mean, look, at it. it says over here, they were both naked and weren't ashamed. They knew they were naked. But something's different here. Individuality has suddenly become individualism. Those that were if you forgive the pun, sutured. They were tied together. They were different, but they were tied together. They were combined. And they were in a sutured self. Now becomes suit yourself. Look, see? It said literally. It's right here. Suit yourself with leaves. See? I'm sorry. I just... And they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin covers. Look at that. Suit yourself. See? There was a division now. This is, this, is lar- this is more important than just a differentiation. This is a division. There is now something between them in order for them to feel comfortable. Come on with me now. It says, and they heard 
the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden of the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Second division, second slip into individualism, into the walls that come up before us. They were not only separated from each other, now they were separating themselves from God. Then the Lord God called to the man and said, Where are you? Remember, that's not a question of geography. It's a question of autobiography. Where are you? God knew perfectly where he was geographically. doesn't play hide-and-go-seek. And he said, Well, I heard the sound of thee in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. <laughs> Real smart answer. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Now, he, this is, he gives him three chances to confess and repent. Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, Well, the woman, the woman that you gave to be with me. Slick, huh? Yeah. See what he's doing? Shifting the blame not only on woman, but on God himself. Again, you see the walls that are coming up. It's your fault. Blaming. It's your fault. The woman you gave to be with me gave. And watch this. See how he drops the last. I bet you anything he dropped those last words. And I ate. The woman you gave to be with me gave me the fruit. And I ate. Bet you anything. It's just the mood of the passage. So, God turns to the woman. And he says. What is this that you have done? Chance to repent. Chance to confess. And the woman said, The serpent! (laughs) He deceived me. And I ate. You see what's happening here? All of a sudden, you haven't got a combination anymore. You've got a collection. And when the fire comes that threatens, guess what happens? When it looks like it is no more personally beneficial to be mutually accountable, there's a split up. When the pressure's on, there's a digression. And all of a sudden, it's every person for themselves. I read a story a couple of months ago about, this is supposedly a true story, some Catholic priest over in the southwest United States taking this problem to court trying to get an injunction against a woman who every Sunday morning when the choir would get up to sing, this woman would stand up. And when they started singing, she started singing. Loud as she could. Problem was, she wasn't singing what the choir was singing. She was singing her own compositions. And in order to to regain the order in worship, apparently this priest thought he had to go to the court to gain an injunction. You know what? That's the same thing that has happened to us when we digress into individualism. We were supposed to be singing the same song. We were supposed to be coming up and joining if we wanted to be a part of it. But we stand out there and we sing our own compositions. And the hurt that comes when we see that we have backslidden into individualism is both surprising 
and horrifying. Some years ago, a man by the name of... Uh, so, what was his name? His last name was Peabody. I can't remember his first name. Nathan. Nathan Peabody. Managed an ice cream store in, in Maryland. And he was there one night, manning the store all alone, and got this phone call. The voice on the other end said this. Listen to us carefully. This is the police. You are about to be robbed. We do not want you to resist. Give them the money. We will be waiting outside the store. We have to catch him with the money on him. Thank you for your cooperation. Sure enough, a few minutes later, he comes firing this little, you know, sleazy guy, spiking cap, little knife, holding the bag out, saying, this is a stick up. Nathan grins, cheerfully gives him all his money, laughs as he walks out the door, and begins not to laugh anymore when, they, when he sees this guy run unaccosted from the premises. It hit him what had happened. A few minutes later, he called the real police, said, I've been had. You see, the calls we get in from people who claim to be on our side, when the heat is on, many times they turn against us. Look at where this trend goes. Turn to the fourth chapter of Genesis. And look at verses 8 and 9 with me. And it came about that when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. And then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? There's that question again. Chance for confession. Chance for repentance. And he said, I don't know. All face lie. Am I my brother's keeper? Now, the Hebrew word is shamar. It means protector. It means uh, um, the, the provider. It means to, to take care of. Now, watch this. This is very clever. It's so clever, we've been using it ever since. We use questions that are obviously rhetorical, that obviously have a no answer. But if you watch how the questions are questions about disengagement, you find out you've been had. That question is, am I responsible to protect and take care of my brother? And the answer is no. But the real disengagement is this. I'm not only not my brother's keeper, I'm not my brother's brother. When someone says, I don't have to care for you, that may be technically right. But when that means I don't have to care about you, you've gotten into real dangerous territory. The territory of individualism. The territory where most of us have been taught to live. Charles de Gaulle, when he was a president of France, said this, France doesn't have friends. France has interests. We have been taught to live not in a combined fashion, but to have interests. In America, we have a philosophical heritage. We are ontological Lockeans. John Locke wrote that the assemblage of the people 
is simply at the will of the individuals for their own self-enhancement. And that's what we believe, but that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that we're combined like it or not. We're combined whether or not we think it's going to improve our personal state. God puts us together for His reasons. That's what the Bible teaches. And where we've come is in a cavern of individualism. Now I want to talk to you just a minute about this week's Supreme Court ruling. Bet you knew this was coming, didn't you? You know, if you've read the book I wrote four years ago, Prayer, Politics, and Power, that I am not especially a great fan of state-led prayers. I think those kinds of prayers are fraught with danger. I think that most of them are so tepid and flaccid as to be of no effect whatsoever. I also believe that it gives the illusion that there is faith where there is not. There is simply ceremony. And so I am not in the position of pushing for prayer politically. But this week's Supreme Court ruling that said, in effect, if you've not read about it, that no longer can schools call a representative out of the faith to pray at a graduation ceremony and invoke the name of God. No longer can that happen. They just crossed a very important line. It is not the line of school prayer, although that's an important line. It's a a line of individualism because in essence what they said was this. If there's one person in the crowd that this makes uncomfortable, the crowd has to shut up. If there's one person in the crowd that feels like they're having religion forced on them, the crowd has just lost their ability to, by authority, continue to voice their confidence that that event is about more than education. I believe, and I have written extensively, philosophically, that the will of the majority can be coerced on a minority and that they deserve our protection. But here's the line we crossed this week in this country. And I know I'm going to make some of you mad with this, so just get out your pen and paper and I'll receive it. Here's the line we crossed this week in this country. An individual can coerce the majority. The fear and trepidation of a person living unto themselves now controls the people who say it is just as important for us to be able to say in public, we believe that this is more than just the assemblage of knowledge. That's a very important line because what we've done is we have enthroned now the individual. We are living in individualism. Turn to Psalm 82 with me. Let me show you this. Boy, if this doesn't nail it, I don't know what does. Read this with me. I say this because I really believe. I have never believed that our hope was in our country as much as I love this country, as much as I would serve it in any fashion. 
I've never believed our hope laid in here. For a Christian, God forms a peculiar people. God makes a people for Himself. They have no nationalities. They have a responsibility and a love for the Father. And we are internationally bound together in a peculiar people. That's why God put us here. So I don't have a lot of confidence in any government, but I do know that God judges. And I do know that God cares. And when I hear people say, it is better to keep your mouth shut than to open up about your differences and come to terms with the fact that you've got to live together, no matter what the differences are. I heard, I read an article in the paper. This Miriam, whatever her name is, wrote an article and said, how would you feel if a Satanist would demand equal time? You know what I say? Bring them on. It's okay. If a Satanist wants to get up there and pray, that's okay. If a Hindu wants to get up, that's okay. If a Confucian, if a, a Muslim, if a, of course, a rabbi is the one that was all about. Anybody who wants to get up there, Jehovah's Witness, Mormons, I don't care. But when it comes to having to live alone in a cowardly and fearful manner and not being able to open your mouth because you're so afraid that the unity of a community can be broken apart instead of living realistically with your differences, you're living in a shell. And there's not much left. Read this with me. God takes His stand in His own congregation. He judges in the midst of the rulers. How long will you judge unjustly? Look at this next line. And show partiality to the wicked. Vindicate the weak and fatherless. He's saying, yeah, protect them. Do justice to the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and needy. Deliver them out of the hand of the wicked. They do not know, nor do they understand. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. In King James it says they're out of course. Just exactly what we're saying. We've, we've taken a wrong turn here. Now he addresses the rulers again. I said, you are gods. It, it doesn't mean, this is not a, a, a new age thing. It means rulers. You are representatives of, of authority on the earth. And all of you are sons of the Most High. Nevertheless, you will die like men and fall like any one of the princes. Let me sum this up for you. I believe that either we cooperate in all of our differences, in all of our wonderful individuality, or we will continue the course that we have taken, and that is to pull apart and live in our own little worlds of individualism. If we pull apart, there's one of two courses you can take. You will take the course of aggression toward each other, which Cain took with Abel. I remember, I remember years ago. Ow, this won't take long. Years ago, I asked uh, my middle son Isaac what he wanted to do. He's doing a father-son thing. He said, well, I want to go swim with the dolphins. See? Well, I didn't want to swim with the dolphins, but I thought, okay, that's what he wants to do. So we went down to a place south of Pinellas Park and they had a place where you could actually, they had them, they would come in. They had them trained, they'd come in and, and, and you could go in a scuba and a mask and just swim around and, and swim with the dolphins, see? And they'd give you a lecture before this. They said, now remember, this is the dolphin's home. This is not your home. You're here for their convenience. They're not here for your convenience. So therefore, just swim around and if they want to swim with you, they'll just come up beside you and you can just grab one and you can play and they'll, and they'll just take you wherever they want to. 
But, he said, I want to warn you. They said, if one comes up and looks you right in the face, which they sometimes do, to continue to stare at that animal is considered by them an act of aggression. Don't do that. Oh, no, I don't want to do that. Well, we get down in this thing. We start swimming around in here, you know. Of course, they can sit. Animal, animals no chemicals. Isaac's just as glad to be there, just like he's in his own world. And immediately a dolphin comes up and just comes along beside him and takes Isaac all around and finally takes Isaac into his little home pen, his little old bedroom in the house type thing. And Isaac plays with this dolphin for the full half hour. And when it's time to get out, he doesn't even want Isaac. He tries to prevent Isaac from getting out. He's his playmate. Well, they sense my chemicals too. I didn't want to be there. I don't even like fish. I'm swimming around, trying to be, you know, this bonding thing with your kid, you know, swimming around. I'm remembering all the Jaws movies I've ever seen, you know. I don't want those stinking things around me. I'm looking down, seeing where these things are. Feel something right here. Looked up and there it was. Staring right at me. Well, when something like that happens, you just go blank. And I was trying like crazy to remember. Are you supposed to stare at him or not supposed to stare at him? One sitting there looking at it like this. He just keeps staring. And then the guy's voice flashes back in my mind. Don't stare at him. I go, who? Made a dive. See? Well, the rest of the half hour, I just swam around alone. Which was perfectly okay with me. The point was, unless there was togetherness, there was isolation. Because he didn't want somebody who was aggressive. He didn't want to swim around with a coward either. I didn't blame him. I didn't blame him. I don't like to swim with cowards. Are you going to bond in a permanent way, even though there are differences, even though there are difficulties, or are you going to go off into your own little corner of cowardice and isolation? That's the question. Since Eden, we have tended, whenever we were threatened, whenever we were hurt, to separate and live in our own territory. You know what happens? You remember the, remember the legend of Narcissus? I'm sorry, but I, this stuff keeps coming back. This will just take two seconds. Narcissus was a, was a Greek boy, handsome God, who was so handsome, all the women loved him. I mean, all the women. And they were always trying to get him to fall in love with them. But for some reason, he didn't want any part of them. There was one especially beautiful maiden by the name of Echo. Echo had made a big honcho, big cheese goddess so mad that this goddess put a curse on her and Echo could never initiate a conversation. The only way she could uh, continue or try to get a relationship was just to repeat what she had heard. That's where we get the word from, see? Boy, there's a lot in here, you know. Take this with you and mull this over. So all she could do was try to repeat what she had heard. And so she tried to get Narcissus to fall in love with him by following him around and just repeating things that he had said. He trashed her. He said, I don't want any part of you. And she was so ashamed that she went deep into a cave and her body disintegrated, leaving only her voice. And the legend goes to this day. The voice of Echo still resides in the deep 
hidden places of the earth. Back to Narcissus. You remember what happened to him, don't you? One day he bent over a pond and he saw his own reflection. And he fell so in love with his own reflection that he couldn't move. He tried to hug. He tried to get some reciprocation. He tried to love himself. And there was no reciprocation there. So what happened? He pined away and he died from unrequited love. Here's the analogy, gang. It says in 2 Corinthians 5, 5, we weren't made for ourselves. So therefore, whatever ways we're trying to love ourselves, if we try to form relationships on the basis of our own personal prosperity, instead of on the basis of truly loving someone else and being bonded to someone else, guess what's going to happen? We're going to stay unfulfilled. In our whole lives, we're going to pine away and wish that we could love ourselves better. That's where we are in this country. We are a country of individualism. It's encouraged in our culture, but it's the opposite of our gospel. Now let me, I want to, I want to have a, just a, a, a brief prayer time. I want to ask you this. I want to challenge you today for two things. Number one, I want for you to consider if you, because of some disappointment you've had with God, have withdrawn into yourself. And whether or not you want to stay like that. If you're living separately from God right now, I want to invite you to come and bond with Him forever and not to live separately from Him him anymore. I want to say a prayer of salvation that says, God, I don't bring anything to the table. This is not some way I'm trying to benefit myself. I just want to love you. And I realize that if I want to love you, you're the one that put it there in the first place because it didn't come from me. I want to love you. And I want, to, I want to be with you and you to be with me. Come into my life. I want to pray that with you this morning. So you never have to worry about being isolated from God. Here's the second one. Some of you are like I am. As I heard this message, I heard myself. I am very much prone when I am hurt or disappointed or threatened to withdraw into my own little world. I'm very much prone to try to build a world of individualism. And I don't want to do that. I want to live with the family God gave me. I want to spend years, no matter what is happening in my life, to say, but I'm a part of a people who God is fashioning for himself. If you recognize those tendencies within yourself, and you want today to turn away from those tendencies, and no matter what the cost is, to say, I want to be connected I don't want to live in a world of individualism. I want you to come up here and join hands and pray with us. You realize why you can't do this in your pew, don't you? You realize why in order to do that, you've got to come and you've got to be connected. Okay? That's part of what we're praying about. So here's what we're going to do. Tim, come out. I want you to play a little something while we're moving around. Okay? I'm going to go down there and kneel and I'm going to stick my hands out and I want somebody to come up and grab hold of them and then whoever wants to come up, I want you to be connected with one another and then let me pray for us.
Come on. Somebody pray with me. thank you for first loving us. We could not even begin to take a step toward you unless you first loved us and drew us to yourself. That's what we recognize today. And we give our lives to you, God, not just on a moment of emotion, but because that's where we belong and that's where we want to belong. You've planted that desire in our heart. We've come from Eden. We've come from our father and mother, Adam and Eve who decided to play it safe and be apart. But we don't want to play it safe and be apart. It is not good that we should be alone. Therefore, today, connected, we kneel before you and thank you for this peculiar family you're building, this peculiar people that you want to fashion for yourself. Bind us together, Lord, in ways that will not come apart no matter how threatened, no matter how forbidden, no matter how long we're together, Lord, bind us together so that we will know that we are a part of a family. And our job is not to fulfill ourselves. Our job is to live unto you and to enjoy one another. We praise you. Thank you for making us peculiar individuals. And help us to enjoy living that out together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.